Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. All apologies aside, I know the bell I rung. I won't pretend I'm guilty and I ain't the only one. I'm shaking hands with metal, I'm dancing on a wire. I soaked the clouds in diesel and I set the sky on fire. My guest on Talk Design today is Colt Wrangler Lyons. Colt is known as Colt Wrangler more often than anything. He's from Texas, um, from New Braunfels. Is that how I say that, Colt, New Braunfels? Yes, sir. And it's close to San Antonio. Colt is a really interesting character. He's a motorcycle maker, I'm going to say, restorer, maker, and has an amazing business doing that. But he also bronc rides and bull rides and uh, takes a few risks. So, Colt, welcome to Talk Design. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Pleasure, buddy. Look, I came across you a, a while back now on uh, Instagram, and in, in that I was like, oh, these motorcycles that you posted were really, really cool, and I was like, oh, far out, you know, that's neat, I'll, I'll, I'll keep looking at that, and I can't remember whether there was a thread of a person who put me there, but I've got a lot of friends in, across Texas, and that possibly there was somebody else who'd liked something or you'd liked, and I went, wow, wow. And then I saw you doing the, the, the bronc and bull riding stuff, and I'm like, oh, this guy's mad. This guy's mad. That, that's got to be exhilarating and fun. But um, it was, that was the other thing. And I went, you know, you're a creative. You're um, out there doing some crazy stuff. But first of all, tell me about your motorcycle business and what started it, why it got going, and what you're doing with it now. Right. Well, you know, kind of my earliest memories of, of motorcycling was traveling with my parents uh, because they, they rodeoed professionally. Um, my father was a bull rider in the PRCA, and my mother was actually a bull rider and bareback rider uh, in women's professional rodeo. And so they traveled all over, and they hauled us kids around. And, um, you know, as, as I grew up, I just remember – you have nothing to do all day but stare out the window and uh when we would we would go to loveland colorado every year for the pro rodeo and there was always motocross tracks on the interstate that we would pass and then it got to where my dad was kind of peeking in at the harley dealerships and uh he ended up buying his first harley in like uh, i want to say like 2005 or something like that and so kind of motorcycling began for me with that, riding on the back with my dad through the Texas Hill Country, which, to be honest, like scared me shitless. Um, <laughs> That's hard to believe. <laughs> which is yeah. so, yeah, which it's super hard to believe because I, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just because like I wasn't in control. I don't know because I've done crazy things on motorcycles, but my dad would be going like 50 miles an hour. I'd just be squeezing him tight, scared, you know, so Anyway, um, and he had that bike, and, and as I grew a little bit older, he talked, and I'm sorry, I'm getting a call. It's fine. Okay. It's okay. Cool. Take it. Oh, I was going to say take I'm coming it. back to you. My dad kind of taught me how to ride, 
and um, we had like a little dirt, a little Chinese dirt bike laying around the house. So he yeah. taught me how to ride on that. And then I went from that to a full size Harley Davidson when I was like 15 and rode it to school, which was like the scariest, most fun thing I've ever done. And could barely, I can't believe I made that jump. Yeah, it, it was ridiculous. I don't even know if I had a helmet, you know. And uh, at, from that point, I was hooked. So by the time I was 17, I bought my first motorcycle, which was a, a Yamaha R6, which a lot of people yep. are familiar with. And it's a, a crotch rocket. Yeah. And, um, you know, it and then that's when I kind of got hooked to speed a little bit. And um, it just went on from there. And then eventually, uh, you know, I, I competed a lot in rodeo uh, through high school and whatnot. And, and the motorcycle kind of started taking place. Uh, of you know the adrenaline rush I would get from from rodeo mm -hmm. and um you know in the process of figuring out life or what I'm going to do and having to to start working and and working in mechanic shops changing oil and tires and this and that you know uh I quit rodeo for uh a good 10 years and wow. I would always just tinker on my own bikes and my own stuff because for one I couldn't afford for anyone else to do it and then Secondly, I'm just the type of person that I want to personalize everything. I want to make it my own. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so then next thing I know, you know, bike customization turn was started becoming like this hobby of mine. Yeah. And then that, that probably timing wise collided a little with the calf racer scene, didn't it? You know, this whole a hundred percent. Yeah. Beautiful. Yes, timing. sir. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it really was. And then there was, it, it was that whole thing. And there was cafe racer TV and cafe racer magazine. And, and at first I wasn't like the biggest fan of them, but I also wasn't a big fan of like choppers or anything like that, you know, because that was at the peak of orange County choppers and sure, American sure. chopper and yeah. Jesse James. Yeah. It was, it was at the peak and it was about to start heading its way back down. So I kind of found my, you know, it's just, you don't know really what you really like or really connect with because you just haven't got to go try out all those different things and those different styles of bikes. And, and, you know, you've, you've ridden one or two bikes. And, uh, so yeah, the, the, the cafe racer thing kind of started to catch my eye like many others. And, um, uh, I just started going in that direction, stripping them back and, customizing but not like the chopper scene you're customizing them down to just beautiful simple machines i think that right the, the calf racer is actually like um i don't know whether you, you probably wouldn't be old enough but like if you look back at the band the who and um they, they were the sort of the mods and the rockers and actually austin's yes. a bit like this you know but there were the mods and the rockers and the mods all rode um you know scooters and the yes. rockers all rode like triumphs and whatever it was british bikes bsas maybe stuff like that uh -huh. and um there was this collision of culture you know one lot was dressed really smart the other lot was dressed like like bikers more and um yeah with that it was just this amazing difference in how the whole thing collided and the music that came from it and everything else. And it's sort of like, if you look at that chopper thing and the other side of it, it's almost like a collision of cultures again. And, you know, 100%. people who wanted strip back. And I think Deus, you know, the big Deus um, company. Yes, sir. 
they made a big move on that. You know, they they really told a different story. I think those guys. Right. Um, I'm trying to think what the name. There's a there's a clothing company in Austin. Um, Revival Cycles. I've seen that, but I'm, that's not the one I'm thinking of. It's um, there's a okay. one that does a surf kind of thing, uh, and it's oh, it'll come to me. It's like Howlin or something like that. Um, they use like an orange monkey as their as their logo, and they do sort of fishing, surfing, um, and maybe motorcycles. I think. But anyway, yeah, it's oh, um, okay. Yeah, it. it Again, this whole culture, this counterculture turns up around these things and then you get meets and you get like, um, you know, competitions and stuff like that. So with the, right. bike, with the bike business, do you tell me how that works? How does the bike business work? Uh, I, I assume it kind of works similar to what you do, you know, uh, and, and, and oftentimes I find myself when people ask what I do and they don't really know anything about motorcycles, uh, I explain it as like, oh, I'm, I'm like, uh, you know, like an interior designer or something. Yeah, right. I'll, I'll tell them that. It's like, or I'll think of a house and you strip it down to the frame and you rebuild it and knock down walls and you're still sitting with the same foundation and, the, you know, the same general structure. Yeah. But you're totally redoing it. And I, I tell people that's kind of what I do with motorcycles. And it gets to where, you know, of course, it started for me building my own stuff you attract attention and someone comes to you as like, uh -huh. Hey, could you do that to mine? Uh -huh. You know? And it's just this, this easy organic transition. And then that just builds and builds. And so basically now people just contact me, um, you know, mostly through Instagram, but uh, I have a website and, and yeah. uh, on, on Google and whatnot. And then uh, we just, we just talk like, Hey, what do you want? What's your budget? And, you know, do you have a motorcycle to start with? Are you, or do you, you find know, them people, one if they need one? Like, like say yes. I go, oh, I, I haven't got a bike and you go, well, what sort of bikes, you know, you start showing me bikes that I might like and what, what's this, what's that? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. Right. That's so, so cool. I'm sure the same thing happens with you. Absolutely. Like hundred percent. Somebody either has an old house or had just bought a property or yep. they haven't even bought anything yet. And maybe mm -hmm. they come to you first mm -hmm. and then, they kind of have a number in mind and, and, and yeah. you know, you just start negotiating. Yeah, exactly. And well, the number in mind just means that we've got something that we can target. And then, then as the, you know, the onion gets peeled as to what they really want and all that, then that number's, you know, something that we're targeting. We can say, well, you could go this way or that way, or you could go to this, but this will cost you this or, you know, this is a better or a cheaper way of doing it. You know, we can do this. It, it's when the conversation really becomes um, animated, I suppose, and you end up understanding the person because, you know, again, you're building something for someone. You, you're creating something right. for someone. And what, you, right. what, what I like and what the other guy likes may be similar, but they're not the same. And they're not... Uh, right. That's the same, I imagine, in yours. It's like all these little quirky things that light some people up. And if it lights them up, then you go, oh, wow, how cool is that? Right. Yeah, there, there's that. And it, But off, honestly, like, just because it's, it's such a hard thing to make money doing that oh. I've gotten to where I've gotten more and more like, if it's not something 
I like, or it's not kind of more along my taste. I just don't even want to do it anymore. And well, I know that sounds bad. Well, no, that sounds good. That sounds good because, and, and what it is, is that you, you're being more purist and it, um, it means it's easier for your company, your customer to identify you. And yes. it means that you're more closely aligned so that you're not trying to spend all your time moving somebody to something or your time learning something of something that isn't going to light you up or, or then it becomes a job. You could get somebody else to do that work. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. And one of my favorite builders uh, that I look up to a friend of mine, uh, Max Hazen, he's pretty well known. And he, he basically someone funds him to do something and, and uh, he, he makes pretty much all the choices, you know, yeah. probably 98% of the choices. Yeah. There's that 2% of, you know, but he should, makes those should choices. I drop this? Yeah. He makes the choices understanding the person as well. Right. You know, otherwise you just have a, you, you become the car yard, don't you? You become the motorcycle shop. You just, you right. know, you're not, you're no longer custom. You're just creating, hey, you could be creating art pieces and people just come to buy pieces of art. That's probably closer. That's kind of, that's kind of what he's doing to where he, and, and, and I, I use that. I don't think I'm going to go to the extremes of how, how he operates because it's just so it's so uniquely him. Yeah. But I think that's what people come to him for. He's, he was somehow able in a small amount of time to build a style that was his own. And now people come to him for that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what I would love. That's what I'm trying to do. It's like, in, but I haven't quite figured out. I think I'm just now I'm six years in yeah. and I, it, it, since I formed the business and I think I'm just now starting to get an aesthetic, like just touching the surface yeah, of right. Colt Wrangler's aesthetic. Yeah, and this... now I want to create that. And then so people will come to me because they're like, I like his bikes and how he does it. So I'm going to let him figure that out. That's you know? cool. That's really cool. And, and look, I think that that's, um, that's probably when you become a brand as well. Like I've worked across many brands in my life and you know, a brand has a signature, a style and a, um, a set of values. And all you're doing right. is, is you're putting your signature style and set of values to a story. And you think of mm-hmm. them. I always think of um, bands, you know, like musicians and um, they have this, uh, you know, let's say they're successful. They have this, they end up with an amazing peak of where the most people have heard of them, love them, and they they produce a, a, a bunch of magic moments at that point. And then they go um, and that they make they make their money. They they make their money, they make their name, and there's all of a sudden there's a, a critical mass of people that will support them regardless. They're gonna you know, right. some of them might have come right from the very start of the journey. Others have joined in, but they're, they're locked in and they're going to follow these people. And then they go off and they um, they stop trying to make hits and they just start making stuff that they absolutely love. Sometimes it makes hits. Other times it just makes them happy. And um, right. they're no longer trying to put food on the table. So that relieves part of that pressure to uh, just sell things and Right, they, they get to get really pure about what they love. You know, I, I always think of um, 
of the band The Police and Sting. At when I think mm -hmm. of that thing, you know, insane, insane ability as, as an artist and a musician and um, the way he looks at the world. The band, the Sting became famous because of police and he you know, created that with the others. And then he went off and did his own thing and, and, and slowly it morphed into just him loving what he does. Just uh, right. And I see that with so many good brands. And then people go, oh, I belong to this brand. They, they, they take a, a piece of it with them. You do it with clothing. Right. You do it with all sorts of stuff, you know. And it, it's either a, it lasts your whole lifetime or it just is a moment in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. mm. And there's, there's definitely a lot of, like, transitions within that because cool. yeah. when, when, you, when you first start building, it's just like, oh, you want to – pay me to like cut up your bike. Okay. What do you want? <laughs> and then you just, you, you like do what they want, you know? And yeah. you're like, that's cool. And then the more and more you do that, the less you, you want to do exactly what they want. You start forming your little bit of your own style and, and you start yeah. getting a little bit more opinionated on how you do things. And, and so you're slowly transitioning and you're kind of slowly, I think, changing your customer base. I, I, and, I think so um, as well. Yeah. And, yeah. and then you kind of got to find that sweet spot. And uh, because it, it, it is hard if to just at first, you just kind of got to do what people are going to pay, you, pay you to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the, to fund the operation. And, and at that point, you don't really care because it's all exciting. Well, right. and everything's a learning curve as well. You know, your learning's yes. going mad, and and you're, you know, you you don't know all your tricks, but you discover right. them. And as you discover those tricks, um, then they sort of go in your bag. You know, that's part of your magician's bag. And then next time you're doing something, you go, oh, I got that trick, and I could modify that trick to, you know, cut the lady in half this way as opposed to the other right. way. And all of a sudden you've got, you've, then you're innovating and then that just keeps the journey growing, which I think is really fun. Right. I think and when you're innovating, like that. then yes, I believe so too. And, and when you're innovating, then I think that's when you start figuring out what your style is, uh -huh. you know, and then, and then once you start figuring that out and it's always going to evolve, of oh. course. Right. Yeah. But once you start figuring that out, when a customer comes along, that doesn't really fit that it's it's it gets easier to just say no because it's like why uh, there's someone else that could that would do what you want better than I could yes or that's yeah. more aligned with what you want and yeah. and we're not really doing each other any good to partner up on this project and and I think by saying no you you're able to say yes to the people that more align with your vision 100%. and you know it's it's like the dating game almost, you know. It's just, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, swipe left, swipe it, it right. It really is. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I mean, it turns into now I just have kind of a handful of customers that I have this relationship with, and that you know, they text me or they call me if they need something this or that, and 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 usually those are the ones now that are referencing and yeah. bringing the new customers in. Yeah. And it's already someone who sees what you've done for their friend. And so they already like that. And so they're just coming to you for what they've already seen. And so, and you know, and, and making something and, unique for them based on their pieces of that. But yeah, like uh, 
certainly you know my business is identical you know like still something like 80 percent of our clients come from um referrals and then Mm -hmm. if not referrals things they've seen and they go we we really love this house um they don't even know who who owns it but they've found out that we designed it and then yeah they come they come the same way right and i've changed like the the different builds and the different things that i've done in the past that i'm still proud proud of mm-hmm. and that were done well but wasn't the direction i wanted really wanted yeah. to go in the future and i don't really push those builds as much so it, and and some of them honestly are more popular right now than the stuff that i want to do but i don't want to get pigeonholed in the you don't just want to be a trend a yeah yes. so then tell yes. me this um Two questions. You can, they'll probably blend. Who's your ideal customer? So who 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 do you want to walk through the shop door next and say, "Cool," and then talk to you about a bike? And what's the bike you're going to? What what some of the things on that bike that you're going to do for them? What are some of the things that you just love to do that makes them stand out a bit different from anybody else's? So I guess ideal customer would, uh, of course, a guy that's not worried about money because um, at all, because it's having a custom motorcycle built is like the most impractical thing you could do money wise. (laughs) It's it's totally just throw it away. You know, like it's it's, you know, I, I would imagine a little bit of a home renovation. It's like, well, we do have to live somewhere. You know, we do have to have a roof over our head and, uh, you know, the wife also enjoys it, (laughs) you know, it's, 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 you know, when you're building a single seat custom motorcycle, it's pretty hard to talk the wife into that. Yeah, honestly, that's why UTV, UTVs are just, it's destroying motorcycles in the market because it's like the wife can get in it (laughs) and there's seatbelts and different stuff, you know? So like it's, you're already starting from this point that's, it's got to be where someone's really willing to put to throw money in and um, never get it back. And, and honestly, money people, that's, it's difficult to find that even within people that make a lot of money because they're so used to having to be smart with it or everything's kind of an investment or yeah, everything's, everything's got a, a return. Flip. Yeah. Right. This is passion. I'll have a lot of, right. It's passion. So it's got, they got to get to that point um, because uh, a lot of my most recent customers have been, guys that are like real estate developers, uh-huh. stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, so a, they can afford it, but got, a, they can afford to, um, there's nobody that they've, they've got the, I suppose I was going to say the right, the right isn't the word. They've got the ability to be able to pursue the passion and yes, because and, they want it and, and it doesn't matter anything else. It's like, yeah. I want that. Yeah. I'm going to pay for it. And every all the practicality is is out of the question. So, so I um I, I got a story once that um and I think I've got this right. I'll attempt it anyway. So a guy that used to work um in the marketing for Harley Davidson, he realized, I'm sure this is it. He realized that Harley Davidson's biggest competitor wasn't another motorcycle it was a conservatory 
100%. So the conservatory on the house was going to cost about the same as the motorcycle. And, it, and the wife would want yes. the conservatory and he would want the motorcycle. And when they realized yes. that that was, the, that was their biggest market competitor was the conservatory, then they made their marketing stronger to, to counteract that essentially. Um, but to, to make that disposable dollar come to them for the joy of life as opposed to the conservatory. Um, right. It, it would be, I, I, there's probably some studies written about it and all the rest, but it'd be pretty interesting to know because, you know, your biggest competitor is where else that disposable dollar can go. Um, and it's because, uh, because it is, it's got to be a disposable dollar. It's got to be one that, right. that someone's passionate about. And um, I imagine it'd be really fascinating to do the numbers on how many of your customers, you know, A, are married, B, have children, C, belong to a country club, you know, D, drive right. or whatever, yeah. you know, like it'd be really yeah. interesting to look at them all and go, yeah. in, in the um, sort of like business side of it, you call it a wagon wheel. So you've got a wagon wheel and it's like a, a pizza pie. And each piece, right. you you load them all in. I've got, you know, all these customers do this. They've all got this. They've all got this. But it would be fascinating to know. And also their age as to at what point they go, I've got the disposable dollar to choose to do this. And, yes. um, yeah. and they got to have enough to where the wife's like, that, it's okay. You know, because, yeah. you know, if you, it, I really can't deal with it within that spectrum of, well, the wife wants to remodel the kitchen and the husband wants a motorcycle. You know, that's, I, I, I'm, I almost, I almost guarantee you I can't do something for you. You know, exactly. It, it, I'd love to, I'd love to sit and chat, but man, I, I, I think better that I come around and see you in your kitchen. You're right. Exactly. It's, it's gotta be to that. I gotta have that guy that's like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having my custom home built right now and yeah. I, you know, and, and, and I've got a spot for the port. bike. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yes. You know, exactly. and, and, and it's, he's at that point where the, the wife, it's, it doesn't matter what he spends on that, you know, and my, uh, my, musician, like you were saying, I was going to say my musician friends, it's like, how many guitars do you need? And why is that Fender custom shop, you know, um, why is that better than the other Fender custom shop one you've got? You know, like right. <laughs> yes. Well, tell me that. Tell me that, or the vintage one. You know, why is that one better than right. this one? Because they're all costing money, and you've only got one. You know, one set of hands to play them with. <laughs> right. Well, my biggest struggle is, and and I don't know if you know this too, but uh, I've I've been playing. Uh, I'm yeah, a drummer, and yeah, I've been you're a drummer since yeah. I was about 10, 11 years old. But also, I'm I'm a very practical person. I like all, and I'm also I'm I'm super thrifty, man. I yeah. I don't want to spend money on anything. It's like if I got to pay fifty dollars to get a pair of jeans, I'm just like, oh man, it's killing you, you. know, which is to, <laughs> which is totally normal. And, and and so for me, I'm always trying. I always want something special and unique, but I don't want to spend the money. So I'm always having to find a way to get what I want. And, and something that works well and, and 
in, in music that works well, sounds good, looks good on stage, looks good in pictures, but isn't costing me five, $6,000 for yeah, a drum right. set. Yeah. So I'm going out and I'm finding something that's, you know, the drum set I'm playing now, which is one of the cheapest drum sets I've ever had. And it's one of my most favorites. It was literally old marching drums that I pulled out of a, some sheds in the south side of San Antonio in the hood. And I bought them for like 20 bucks and I sanded them down and refinished them. And now it took a lot of time. But, you know, everyone like who made this kit? Where is this from? This and that, you know, you're going to regret so saying that, some... man, you're, that that motorcycle business will morph into a drum kit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I shoot. I, you know, th there's nothing harder than than probably oh. a, a drum building business. But, um, you know, so I, it's hard for me to, to look at things the way my customers do. And that's the yeah. biggest struggle I have. I think in business is the fact that my practical mind will kick in or I'll always try to find the, 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 the most uh, the, thrifty way or the most, um, the, yes. To, yeah. The, the cheapest way to return the highest value. Right. And, uh, and because that's how I think about literally everything. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I'm having to really break that and, I think what's helping me do that is getting a couple of those customers who were also very practical, thrifty people who worked for a very long time. And then over the years, making right decisions, all of a sudden, you know, they're, they don't have to worry about money anymore. I, I, Good I think, or bad economy. I think that um, it's a really key point and it's a really, really key point when, um, if, if you had a team that was working with you, what, we have this um, this thing with houses. You know, we might be designing a house that's going to cost three million dollars to to build, and you know, you could rebuild my house for probably less than a million. Well, maybe about a million dollars, but that that doesn't seem like a lot of money any these days anymore. And um, when you look at that, the 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 people who you know I work with and all the rest, I have to say to them, don't project your values on to your customer, look, listen to your customer's values and then align yourself with them. Because yes. if you don't, then you're going to have a disconnect. And yes, look, I, I always say we've got clients who've got, you know, very deep pockets, very wealthy. Um, a, a guy from uh, Alabama, Jeff Dungan said this to me, he said, they have the right kind of change. And I, mm -hmm. that, that, that rings with me every time I go, they've got the right kind of change. They can, they can make change whenever they need to. And um, yes. with that, being able to align yourself with their values, they still value, they still have a set of values that is, um, if they're spending the money, they want their values met. So they may have hundreds of millions of dollars, but at the end of the day, what's the value to them of what they're purchasing? And they're very, very right. good at, at identifying that. Whereas a lot yes. of people um, who have less money aren't very good at identifying, are they getting the value return? Not just the, the yes. investment return, but they're investing in their values. And what return do they get at that? And I think that's a really massive lesson to, for anybody in business and certainly anybody who's in custom business like you are. Right. You know? Yes. And, and, and it's, it's great. Cause you know, I'm, I'm so, I build these relationships with, with my customers and uh, you know, I, I have one who's uh, just had a, a 
really nice custom home built in, in Austin. Uh-huh. And, um, it's, I, I am an open book, you know, well, I'm pretty much an open book with all my customers anyway, but I talk to him about my struggles and this sure. and that and the other and get, and get into his mind because mm-hmm. like I said, he, you know, he's a very practical guy, but now he's at this point to where, you know, he can make choices. Everything in his house is custom. Yeah. He's, he's not even, he's not going to go buy a piece of furniture that you can buy at a store. He's yeah. going to have it made. Yeah. And he, you know, and it's like, wow, how did you go from this practical guy who's, you know, you know, it's got, got a small ranch and, and, and you drive an old pickup truck and this and that and the other. And he still got that route to a guy that's like, all right, you know, I want this specific Porsche and I'm going to go to the dealership and I'm going to order it, Yeah, you know, and I'm, I want, uh, you know, this table and chair set built by this guy. And I, and I want you this know, motorcycle rails and yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything. And that's like every single thing he's got is like either top of the line or custom built. Yeah. And, but he's still that practical guy. Love and that. so he's kind of, he's kind of helped me open my mind a little bit to it and, and try to look at things through a different lens because I'm noticing I got to a point where I was getting in my own way of yeah. building something of more unique. Yeah you know, because of thinking too practical and, and not letting loose and just letting my customer, like you said, basically tell me their values and what's good for them and what they want. And I'm just now getting to that point of, of kind of letting go. And, um, you know, I'm going on a journey. I'm learning a lot now. To, yes. Going on a to journey. Say, I'm learning to them. say no. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a right. lesson. Going on a journey. Yeah. Yeah, to say no, but like when when I'm starting to get to where I can identify that kind of person, and so when I feel like someone's not that, I'm just like no, or, or I have other people to send them to. Just invite them, and, invite them to come bull riding with you. There you go. <laughs> that'll yeah, sort that, them out. That'll scare them off. They're like, yeah, I'm definitely not going to give this guy my money because he, you know, it. it <laughs> yeah, talk about something where it's like he may be able to work on it today, but tomorrow he may break his arm, and and now now I'm dead in the water for three months on my project, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> oh, it's uh, I love what you're doing with the bikes, say, eh? and I love that journey of um, creating your brand. And I think yes. you've got I think you've got a good handle on on where you want to go with that, which is really cool. Let's segue to bronc riding. And yeah, you were saying, you know, how your mother and father both, you know, rode. Um, yes, sir. And with that, what took you back after 10 years of, uh, of sitting your ass on a motorcycle to decide to sit your ass back on something that's live, that's trying to kick you off? The bike at least isn't right. trying to kick you off. That's your own doing. But those other yes. things... Bulls and bulls and horses, they're, they're working hard because they don't want you on there. Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is the more I started working on motorcycles, the, the less time you have to ride them. And then also the less money you have to spend on them. Like you're starting to sell your motorcycles to buy tools to build a bike for somebody else. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so I found myself over the last four years, like... I'll have some sort of like the one I'm riding. I have a couple of motorcycles right now of my own. None of them run. And the only one that I have that runs, I'm actually borrowing from a customer 
and using it before we tear it down to build. And so the more I've gotten into motorcycle building, the less I've gotten to ride motorcycles. And so I found myself just in the shop six days a week, you know, working on bikes all the time. And, yeah. and anytime I'm riding them, it's a test ride and it's just not fun. It's stressful because you're like, what's that noise? What am I feeling? Yeah. Uh, you know, you're constantly worried about traffic. Like what if a car hits me after I've been working on something for six months? Yeah, really? And so then it kind of just, it just doesn't really become an enjoyable, it's not a hobby anymore. It's your job. And so the easiest thing for me to get into that kind of scratched that itch was rodeo again. And I found myself like I, I was in the shop and I wasn't taking any, any risks and I'm a risk taker. I was raised by risk takers. And yeah. so I just kind of found myself being unhappy and a little, little stagnant. And I was, I was dating a, a very great girl who was encouraging me with the business, but she, she was and her family is very, very safety oriented. So they so were like, yeah, get on I, the back of a, get on the back of a horse or a, or a bull. They, they were right behind you to do that. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. They, Ma they marry my daughter not... first. Yeah. Marry her yes. first and then get on the yeah. bull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That just the con the concept of doing something like that is, is they, they just couldn't fathom it. And so when I wasn't working, I was with them, you know, in the, in the family on my day or two off. And so then I, I, it took me a while to figure out like, why am I, kind of like more frustrated and more anxious and, and, and not, not very happy. And I started realizing like, I, I wasn't really getting to scratch that itch yeah. of, uh, you know, adre adrenaline rush and taking some risk. And that's just who I am. And I need a little bit of that element to balance me out. And then my greatest excuse to start rodeoing again <laughs> was like, well, it's good branding, right? That's the best excuse. Cause there is, as far as I know, there is no other, you know, cowboy or rodeo cowboy uh, bike builders that I've discovered yet. And so that is my unique branding into the motorcycle world that differentiates that. me from everyone else. And so I was able to, you know, talk myself into it, talking about having a practical mind I was like, well, it is very risky and you know, if you get hurt, it's really not good for business, but it's, you know, it's great branding and it's going to set you apart. And so that's what I've been doing. And, and I did get hurt. Not too bad. I fractured, uh, fractured my arm a few months back and man, it made work really difficult and it made playing music and playing drums very difficult, man, which is I also can. another part of my income. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it feels right and it feels good and I'm happier and I'm like, okay, well then that's what I need to do. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. It, 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 um, it's, it's that thing, you know, like we were talking before when I was saying I started traveling again, I, I you know, years ago, and I, um, it, it was, it makes me a happier, better human being. And it's like, if I haven't been for a surf in a week, you know, my wife's pretty much got her foot on my ass and pushing it out the door and going, I don't care if it's flat, go to the beach, do something, yes. get out of here. It right. makes me a better human being. Yeah, it uh, it does. And sometimes you have to force yourself to do it because you're like, I have all this work. I got customers. You're at a point where everybody's waiting on you for yeah, something all, at all times. And I started to learn that that's not going to end. There's always going to be somebody that's you, waiting on me for something. 
You want them and to, I need to be take because care of myself. That, yeah, you've yeah, absolutely. You know, you want you want people to be waiting on you because that means you've got another customer in the pipeline. And you also want to be able to take care of yourself because without you being valued, you know, like the whole magic starts to die. You know, that's that thing about yes. the, having the ideal customer as well is unless there's some magic, man, why, why bother even putting on, you know, the outfit? Just go and do it somewhere else. I say the same thing with clients. You know, we're interviewing you. You're interviewing us. But I'm trying to work out if there's enough magic that we're going to have some great fun. Yeah. And if yeah, we're going to have some great chemistry. fun. That's what I'm talking ah, about. <laughs> absolutely, man. Absolutely. And, and, you know, sometimes I say to people, like yesterday I had a call from a guy and I said, you know what, I, I don't know that this is, yeah, I, I don't, I, I hear what you're trying to do and all the rest. I just don't think I'm the right guy for it. Right. And, um, and, and he's yes. like, why is And they that? appreciate that. People appreciate that, though. Yeah, they I do. Think. And if they don't appreciate it right then, they will down the road when they do find Probably. the right person. Yeah. Yeah. He was, yeah. Like, and it wasn't that he was a bad person or anything. I just didn't, I felt like I was in sort of some weird mode that it wasn't flowing. And I just went, yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, nah. As we're yes. saying, New Zealand, yeah, yeah, nah, it wasn't right. So, um, right, yeah, fascinating. So, when you get on the back of a, should we start with a bronc or a bull? A bronc. Well, so I, uh, I, I bull rode. I uh, started riding full size bulls. When I was about thirteen, and I yep. did that all the way through high school and a little bit after. And uh, so, I haven't been on a bull since I was about twenty years old, and uh, I'm twenty nine now. I'm about to be thirty. And what kind of got me back into rodeo a little bit was uh, I found out that there was a practice pin, a bull riding practice pin, just down the road from my shop. Uh -huh. And so I started going over there, helping out, just just being around the atmosphere. That was just doing good for me. And, you know, helping guys pull ropes and pull gates and stuff. Well, I, I ended up being in the arena working the shoots and stuff. Well, I, you know, I found myself getting in between some guys and some bulls or, or – you know, some younger guys that were just starting out got hung up in the rope yeah. and yeah. somebody's got to get them out. And yeah. I would just, I kind of would just click and forget everything else and, and go, go just do what needed to be done. Well, that kind of got me a little bit in, into bullfighting, which is a lot of people uh, would recognize that from like rodeo clowns and whatnot. Sure. Yeah. And um, so your job is basically to distract the bull uh, from the bull rider or help in a situation to where they're stuck or they're in yeah. a bad spot. And um, so I started doing that. And uh, which is, I've always said I would never do because it's crazy and it is. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I started doing that and, and I have a few buddies. Uh, it's funny that the motorcycle stuff has kind of actually connected me more into the rodeo world than I thought it would have. And I've started meeting more people through motorcycles, uh, you know, basically from Instagram because they like what I do. And I say, Oh, this guy's a bullfighter. I really like what he does. And so sure. yeah. I start reaching out to them to learn, you know, and I actually went to a school that a buddy of mine taught in California and, and just been learning that way. But I've just kept it in the practice pin, which is non-competitive. I'm learning, they're learning, we're doing it together. And uh, I used to ride saddle bronc courses a little bit in high school as well. And I had uh, through all this, I met a buddy, who has started riding a uh, ranch bronx 
Now, ranch bronc is a little bit different style of bronc riding. You can hold on with both hands and you use a normal Western uh, riding saddle, a ranch okay. saddle. Yeah. And so it's not nearly as technical as saddle bronc riding. Anyway, there's a lot of, there's a lot of details in here. You probably don't need to know, but uh, th they've been adding that competition to normal rodeos lately, not pro rodeos, but like amateur rodeos and whatnot. And my buddy's been going to them and I was like, man, where do you practice that? And he's like, well, there's nowhere to practice. I've just been entering. I was like, well, I'll just enter one. So he talked me into enter one and I wow. went one second on, on my first rodeo out. Yep. And then I've just been kind of going about every other weekend or so. And, and, you know, I've been riding about 50, 60%, probably about 60% right now to where about 40%, I get fucked off about 60% I'm covering. But when I'm covering, I'm usually winning money. Um, not a lot, but like enough to like, okay, well, maybe this is worth going to the next one, you know? Yeah, right. Enough and, to keep uh, you interested. Right. Enough yes, gas yes. for the and truck little, to get you to the next one. A hundred percent, but gas and a few beers afterwards, Yeah, you know, and so I've been, I've been doing that and really enjoying it and, um, kind of been focusing more on that than the bullfighting because there's, for one, it's, it's a little bit safer. And also for me right now, there's a little bit of payout. Like I just got a check in the mail today from my last rodeo. So it's okay, cool. You gotta know, love that. that's nice. Gotta love that. Right. And, so it's and been it's fun. Something... It's casual. It's yeah. casual rodeoing. You know, that's what I'm doing right now. That's awesome, man. That's really awesome. I love it. I love it. And the, the band, let's finish up with the band. So you're a drummer in a band. Um, tell me about yes, the sir. band. So the, the band I'm, I'm in right now is called the Drop Times, uh, which is uh, a reference for, uh, uh, if you know anything about uh, antlers, well, hunt, deer hunting is sure. real big around here. And, yeah. a, dr and a drop time is, is where they have a point or an antler that, that, that drops down. Sure. And so yep. that's the name of the band. Uh, and it's kind of this indie alternative country kind of thing. It's, it's funny. It's, it's music and it's, it's just like design or anything else. I mean, you reference music quite a bit and dance quite yeah. a bit. And yeah. you're on that same journey where at first you start with something and then, you know, two or three or four years down the road, you start ending up with something else. You kind of find your space and you find yeah. your sound. And that's what we've been doing. And, and we've been pumping out a little bit of music. Um, we're on, you know, iTunes, Spotify. Uh, oh. We got a little bit of stuff on YouTube. But before I that, I was playing on, in, a, uh, in a hard rock band. I'll look you up Drive on. Oh, sorry. Sorry. What, was, what were they called? Vanilla Drive. Danella Drive. Danella with Drive. Yeah. And they're still playing and they're, and they're still putting out new music. So I, I was the original drummer in that band. And so if, if you like a little bit more, you know, kind of hard rock, prog rock kind of stuff. Um, that was what I was doing. And I'm trying to take a little bit of that flavor that I learned in the rock scene and put it more in that alternative country scene and try to develop, you know, just a little bit of a, a different style of drumming for the scene that's, that's totally different than the scene that I'm in, just like bikes and, and branding myself with, with the rodeo thing into the motorcycle world. It's like, it's, and maybe it's good advice for somewhere out there. Go, go do two different opposite things yeah. within five years yeah. and then see how you can merge them together. And you're not creating anything new, but you are creating something that's different. Well, that's innovation. You know, innovation isn't necessarily creation. It's, um, it's taking um, things that already exist and, and blending them and making them better. And something you just said there by doing two completely different things 
often like I used to work as an innovation trainer. Um, uh, yeah, like at Airbus, um, the airplane maker. So I'd be working with all these people who had doctorates and stuff like that, that were trying to solve big, big problems. And I'd teach them how to solve things through an innovation method. And um, with that, we would often steal a map. So in stealing a map, you might go, you know, the real estate industry does it this way. The motorcycle industry does it this way. The bull ride industry does it this way. Out of all those different maps, none of them are the one that you might necessarily use in its entirety, but they may be as well. And you, you cross-reference mapping of how other yes. industries do things, and then you morph yourself to follow their path because the problem has usually been solved somewhere. It's whether you can right. find where it's been solved. And that's the right. reason we have Google. You know, Google's so powerful because we're looking most of the time as to where's the problem being solved and who solves it the way that we best identify with. And so it's right. a, that, that, that's a real like know it or don't know it. It's an absolute innovation technique to go, where's the alternate maps and how can I use those to my advantage when I'm looking and you could do that things. with with everything. Sorry to yeah. interrupt, but it's like, no, you're 100%, yeah, yeah. I, I, I find myself applying that with everything now. Like I'll find something I like and then I'll have something else that I like, or that, you know, is, is, uh, has been a big part of my life and I just merge them together. I mean, like, I yeah. like to decorate. Yeah. Um, really, I, I, I always decorate my shop or whatever space I'm living in. And I found like, you know, I think the style of, of decorating is like eclectic, right? Is that what you sure. call it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, I've kind of done this Western eclectic style to where like I'll decorate my house or my living space kind of eclectic, but it'll be like, there'll be rodeo photos in there and like old West stuff, you know, yeah. like all these different kinds of things that I'm, I'm grabbing from my past, but then I'm also taking reference from some sort of modern design style that I like. And I merged the two and it's like, and it's just like a natural thing that ends up happening. It's but so cool. It's like, why not? You know, it's just so cool. like, it's yeah. cool. And it's, and it's you and it's, it's just things you like. It's like, it's like putting some, you know, some, uh, I've used actually some beats that I, uh, created in this, you know, progressive rock band and put it and merged it into a song that was mostly country. And Love it's it. like, Love why it. not and you can do that with bikes and anything else with designing houses you know like you everything do. yeah it's, right and then that's what makes you unique and that's what makes you innovate and it's it's just fun that's for me it's it's fun like we're on this life for a very small amount of time do something fun go ride Ex the bronc go go get you the motorcycle like do some do crazy, some, th do some things that are do some things that are actually fun and they light you up because this is a and you know when something lights you up it lights somebody else up and it's pro processional every you know it's like ch -ch -ch -ch, it just it's like well that's how we a, met exactly a hundred percent man you know I mean I saw you follow me and I was like I like what he does I like I respect what he does and and he's putting out some pretty cool like houses and and design work and different stuff. And I'm like, I'm following that guy back. Isn't that like, I have nothing to do with what you do or where you live. Like we're on different parts of the world, man. Like you're literally a day ahead of me right now. That's right. Yeah. But it's, it's like, <laughs> it's like we connect, we connect on that level. 
A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Hey, um, I'm so looking forward to getting back to Texas. When when they let us travel out of Australia again, it'll be on the top of my list. And uh, yes, sir. I've I've done a, a a bunch of podcasts with guys from around Texas, so I'm going to try and put together some kind of event um, for and drag a whole bunch of people into it. Um, That'd be great for when I get back. Yeah, when I get back to Texas. So, and usually it'll be somewhere between Austin and San Antonio, as you well know. Um, and I want to come and and watch some bronc riding. Well, I'm happy to come and watch you run around with bulls as well. But yeah, I, I um I love that whole kind of. I don't want to do it. There's not a chance in this world right. I want to do it. It's fun to watch though. Ain't it's it? fun to watch. It's great fun to watch. I love <laughs> going watching quarter horses and stuff like that. Yes, I'm actually sir. doing a uh, in September here. There's a there's a motorcycle race that's already been run, but it's called the Fink Race. F I N K E. If you look that up, and okay. um, I'm I'm doing with a with a, a good friend of mine and a bunch of uh, eighteen other guys. They are all riding what's known as the Fink Track, and um, they're not doing it as a race, but they're all mad enough they'll be going pretty quick. And um, mm-hmm. it's a we're we're going. I'm in a support vehicle, so I'm just going to drive that like I'm trying to wreck it, you know, because um, right. I, I I'm happy in four wheels. I'm happy if the four wheels are off the ground. I'm happy with all that, but two wheels, no. Um, Yes, so, so I'm doing that part, but uh, the those guys will be tearing down the Fink track. So for in September for nine days, I think it is, I'll be sleeping under the stars out in the outback, in with sand and bloody dust and flies and all that kind of stuff. Uh, with a Man, group that of, sounds like a lot of fun. It will be a lot of fun. If you look up the Fink Desert Race, you'll see how crazy it is. Um, yeah. Check again. that out. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It'd be really Y'all cool. are wild over there, man. Like like we talked about before, you know, you started recording it. Like I, I went over there for a couple of weeks to the Sunshine Coast area and man, y'all y'all are wild. Like y'all do stuff different and I I like that. Yeah, like, well gotta get you back here when the, when they open it up as well. Cause uh, I've got a few oh, people I'd from love to. Texas who are trying to come here on tour. We'll go and look at some houses and then go and do some things. Go out back for a bit just spend a week and tour around and do some crazy stuff, especially like I'm going to hook you up with uh, another friend of mine, um, Primrose. And uh, she, she's got a, her and her husband have a farm and a bunch of kids out uh, in miles, which is in Queensland, but she's bronc ridden and bull ridden. Um, she's a gorgeous blonde. She's an interior designer. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, That's amazing. I will link you guys because uh, yeah, you'll get a conversation for sure. For sure. That would be amazing, man. I would love that. Yeah. Colt, thank you so much. We're going to post all your socials. Um, I'm going to ask you for something when we when I, when I hang up the recording that maybe will be a bit okay. of fun as well. And okay. just again, thank you so much for making the time, man. It was such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Both on our own directions with different work to do. You make it all look easy.
Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, well, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will. <laughs>